Welcome to the Let's Talk Money and More podcast with me, Leslie Thomas. The aim of the podcast is to get us all talking about money more. Talking about money is still considered to be a taboo. We don't talk about money enough. Women don't talk about money enough. And that needs to stop. In this podcast, my guests and I talk about money, mindset, and how to turn around limiting beliefs, allowing you to develop a healthy, wealthy money mindset. Our relationship with money doesn't just affect our finances, but impacts every aspect of our business. And most of all, our own sense of self-value and self-worth. By mastering your mindset, you can in turn master the money you make in your business. Welcome to the latest episode of Let's Talk Money and More with me, Leslie Thomas. Today is another guest episode, and I'm looking forward to introducing you to Heather Angel. Heather is a successful business owner and mum of two young children. She has true empathy for people that are feeling completely overwhelmed unfulfilled and stuck in a life that they know could be so much bigger, bolder and brighter. Since leaving the corporate rat race in 2015, Heather has been helping highly ambitious business owners around the world reclaim their time, energy and sense of purpose through private mentoring, consulting, speaking events and online programmes. Heather's unique approach empowers people to leave self-doubt, fear and uncertainty behind and grow a joyful, fulfilling, profitable and sustainable business on their terms. Welcome to the podcast, Heather. It's so good to have you here with me today. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this. I'm so looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be a juicy one, I think. (laughs) I think so as well. So we're going to kick off with the same question I ask all my guests. What is your money story? Well, it's really interesting. Knowing I was coming onto this, I really started thinking about it. I thought, it's so interesting when you look back, isn't it? You know, when you're in it, you don't necessarily see it, but that that joy of being able to look back on things. And it all starts, as everyone, in childhood. And I grew up thinking I was poor. Now, my parents did an amazing job. I had a great childhood, um, but they did the best they could with the conditioning and experiences they had. And my dad had a, as far as I understand, absolutely horrendous childhood. Um, It was literally just sort of getting by very, you know, if you class, if you go into the classes, it was working class at the very bottom. My mum, one of six children and, you know, the only girl, and there was no aspirations for either of them. It was just get on with life and go out there and, and do the best you can. So for me as a child, my parents' aspirations for me were, if you can get your GCSEs, that would be great. <laughs> so that, that you know, they were very, and that never came from a bad place of you can't do anything. It's just they thought that was, that was impressive. Like yeah. if you can get through to your GCSEs and, and, you know, maybe even do something after that or get a good job, you've made it. Like that, that was their benchmark. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, the, because they came from very little money, that's the sort of conditioning that I was brought up with, that money was scarce, um, money was hard to come by. You know, I would always know how much the food shop, oh, God, £200 on a food shop. I mean, as we're recording now, I'm like, yep, that, that's feed you for about a week now, I think. <laughs> but back Absolutely. then, you know, that was the monthly shop. And, you know, everything was 
oh, that's expensive. Oh, we can't afford that. However, so I grew up thinking, oh, you know, money's money's scarce and, and all that sort of thing. Obviously not consciously knowing that, but equally we had a house. Like we had, we were in a mortgaged property. We weren't renting or anything like that. Um, we went abroad on holidays. We went to center parks. Now I'm a mom. I'm like, center parks, not cheap. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that is not where people, and I'm, you know, putting this air quotes, who are poor take their kids for a break, especially in the summer holidays. And I was like, so looking back now, I think, my gosh, I, I thought we didn't have much money because that's what I kept hearing. And we would never, you know, we would never get, you know, designers clothes or, you know, trainers, you know, that thing when you go to school and you have a dress down day used to be my worst nightmare. I never had Nike trainers or the latest clothes, and um, because you know that was we we shop in a place called Quality Seconds, and you know that that was where we got our clothes from. Um, so I just had this mindset of oh we're poor we're poor, but I never went without anything ever. And it, it's fascinating when I look back and think you know we were all right. I mean my dad had a golf club membership at one of the most really really nice clubs, and we lived in Surrey. So I look back now and I chuckle. I'm like, we were doing all right, actually. My dad worked really hard to get there. Um, but my mum didn't have to work. She did. She did a, sort of a few jobs eventually once we were a bit older. But I look back now and go, wow. Yeah. That's, we were lucky, really lucky. But isn't that interesting that, you know, when you think back, the messages that you were getting were around scarcity but the reality of the matter when it came came to the experiences you had being able to go on holiday abroad centre parks your dad being a member of a golf course etc that the reality was there there was enough money there not Mm. just for surviving but actually thriving as well Mm. absolutely and and I do wonder if because my parents, you know, because they had sort of the golf club membership, that was their friendship group. And there were people who were, you know, millionaires at this golf club. So when you compare, we weren't rich or anything like that. And, you know, I'm not saying for a second that we weren't rich. My dad worked really freaking hard to, you know, do everything that we, to provide everything that we had. But in comparison, we were on the, the lower scale of things. So I do wonder if that played into it as well. And, you know, the conversations I used to hear about it always used to, it makes me laugh now because it still happens but you know you, sort of, you hear about oh well so and so's just bought a new jag but of course you know that was a that was a backhanded thing all these people with money it was always rich people are bad yeah rich people have got it in a sneaky yeah. way they're not good people and I, you know that definitely stuck with me for a long time that rich is bad and I think to be fair when you see some of the horrendous things that happen in the world you kind of go my gosh these rich people with power are a nightmare (laughs) absolutely yeah it does reinforce that belief of oh crikey you know the the wealth doesn't always go to the best people (laughs) I mean that is true but also we see people who have not got money who are equally not particularly nice people Mm. as well do you think when it when it comes to people putting out that message you know people with money are bad do you think that sometimes that's more trying to deflect from the lack of perceived success they have in themselves and therefore trying to make that excuse we're good therefore we can't be rich they're rich therefore they must be bad so it's more of that comparatonitis Mm. and trying to deflect away from a lack 
they may be mm. feeling in themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I see it all the time. And I've had to be really um, conscious and mindful being a coach myself. I see, you know, the language people use, you know, friends, family, and you immediately want to go, well, <laughs> maybe just just change your perspective slightly. You know, obviously being a coach yourself, you know, you have to be like, okay, they're not my client, keep them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is not my project. Um, but yes, I absolutely believe that because it's easier, isn't it? And I don't think there's any, you know, this isn't casting shade on people because it's it's easier to go, well, you know, I don't have that because I'd rather be a nice person than a rich person and I'm a good person. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, almost that's a safety net almost. It is a kind of a comforter of like, well, at least I'm not a bad person. You know, I'd rather be a bit broke than a horrible person. So yeah, I, I think you're totally right. It's a way of projecting it out. Yeah. And I think it's a protectionist approach as well. Isn't mm. it? it's, a pre- it's a protectionist approach to your own sense of self-worth, self-value. It's trying not to bring yourself down mm. by bringing somebody else down or another situation down, rather than necessarily looking inward as to what actually is that excuse costing me? Mm. Because there will be an excuse and it will be costing them something in Mm. terms of not taking action because they don't want to put themselves in that position possibly of having to become more visible, having to put clearer boundaries in place, you know, with their clients, et cetera. Mm. And I think that protectionism sometimes is the biggest part of what harms us in our relationship with our own self-worth, self-value, how we grow our own revenue in our businesses and the businesses themselves is that set of excuses that we give ourselves Mm. to legitimise us not taking the action that we should be taking. Yeah, for sure, because I see it all the time. um, And I was just, as you were talking now, I was thinking, you know, even with my dad you know he was he is highly skilled in what he does but he had been brought up with well you're not very good at anything really so actually when he he was sort of, I don't know what age he would have been but he was sort of probably in his 50s when he got a really decently paid job and he knew and you know once he had that he was like oh my gosh I could have been earning this for you know I should have been going for bigger jobs but again with that self-worth once we realize I'm a, I'm a big believer that you know your self-worth and how your and your confidence around money are absolutely linked. I do not believe that your worth has anything to do with the figure that's in your bank account. You are worthy regardless of what yeah. that number is. I mean, I think that message gets a bit muddied sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I absolutely think you're right. It, it it's sad in some ways because we're very privileged. Um, and the people listening to this podcast are also very privileged in that sense that they've they've got that sense of curiosity and like oh actually I want to grow myself I want to develop myself let's let's dig a little bit deeper in there but I see so many people that don't yeah and they just don't want to look at it yeah and you know I've got friends and family that spring to mind immediately that I think oh you're amazing and you just don't realize it and you're struggling because you just don't want to look at it you've got your blinkers on you don't want to look at the inner stuff but if you did wow (laughs) what could be possible for you because you know when you have that it leads into gratitude and things as well. You know, when I when I think the amount of times 
I fall into that, oh my gosh, life's so difficult and everything's so expensive. Well, this is hard. And I have to really catch myself and go, whoa, <laughs> it's really not. You've yeah. just heard a news article or you've heard something or something from the externals influence and you've lost who you are and where you are. And then you come back to your, oh no, actually, I've got a really great house. I've got a really great life. My children are healthy. I've actually got plenty of money in the bank. Yeah. Yeah, let's get back to that place. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think what, what's really interesting, and I, you know, I've said this to a few people over the last couple of years, that what I what I discovered about the coaching world when I became a coach a couple of years ago was it was a little bit like going through the wardrobe into Narnia. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea this coaching world existed. Mm-hmm. And the extremities in the coaching world from you know from the multi-millionaire coaches down to those that are you know that are barely surviving Mm. but what I always say to my clients is what you have got here is an absolute crystal clear demonstration of the art of the possible Mm. yes there is going to be coaches who are overinflating their success not measuring their set success maybe in the way that it should be measured in terms of profit, mm-hmm. not just revenue. Yeah. But there are absolutely coaches out there who are doing an amazing job. They're making an amazing amount of money and they have a fantastic lifestyle. And when we see those people, they are the people that we should be celebrating Mm. not just for their success, because I think it's important we all celebrate our own success and other people's for the very reason you said there with regards to gratitude. Mm. But actually, when you are shown that something is possible, what you really then need to do is to learn to mute that voice in your head that tries to take away from that person's success Instead, what you should be doing is, oh, if they've done it, I can do it. And finding all the motivation in yourself to be able to recreate what they have done. How have they done it? What do I need to do differently? Do I need to go live more frequently? Do I need to be collaborating? Do I need to increase my prices? Do I need to bring out a new program? Do I need to niche down more? Rather than what happens for a lot of people, they are the comparatonitis kicks in, or what happened in their childhood with not getting the right messages in terms of what they could create, who they could be, and instead going inward on themselves. Mm. And I think what I I love now about the coaching world, and I haven't always loved it because I too. When I first came into it, suffered from that comparatonitis, suffered from that imposter syndrome, went through all those things, but now actually see it as being the art of the possible and reach for, you know, reach for the moon, not just for the stars. Mm. How have you found your experience in the coaching world? Oh, well, (laughs) (laughs) it's been an interesting one. So I've been in the coaching world for about seven years now. And what I think is really interesting about what you said is the definition of success is the first thing I work on. And it was the first thing I really realized that I hadn't got clear on because for some people, a definition of success is 
they want to move from their nine to five. So they want to replace their full-time salary doing something they actually love. Amazing. For some, you know, on the other scale, they're like, actually, I want a really big company. I envisage having, you know, at least 20 staff to start with, and it's going to be seven big and blah, blah, blah. So there's very, very different definitions of success and they can evolve. And I think that's the biggest thing is giving people permission that they can evolve their definition of success. Because the one thing I think I struggled the most with, and this is partly because I was in this coaching world and, and the online coaching world, the offline coaching world seems to be a completely different place. Yeah, <laughs> like, I totally agree. Yeah. But like different universes. Um, but the online coaching space was um just full of, you know, like you said, these marketers, basically. I mean, most of them aren't even coaches. They are marketers with programs and they call themselves coaches. And I'm like, mm, are you? Are yeah. you really a coach? Mm-hmm. <laughs> are you just point. really good at selling stuff? Yeah. <laughs> so I fell into a lot of that and I was like, oh, this is this is how I need to be. And this is where I think the, the personal inquiry and the self reflection and actually looking at the shadow and the dark sides of work oh why am I doing this is so important because I at the time in probably the first four years of being a coach I was still on a place of oh I need this oh I must have this program I must I tell you if I invest a grand a month on this coach then that means I'm willing and able and I'm going to be a really you know all those things because I just didn't have that self-belief within myself that actually, no, I'm really good at what I do. Yeah. And actually, I don't need anything. I can choose, which is what I do now. I choose, okay, I really desire to work with that person. Or actually, I really want to learn this new energy modality. So I'm going to invest in that. And I'm going to learn that because I desire to do so rather than coming from that place of I'm not enough. I'm not enough how I am. My skills aren't enough. So if I just get another qualification, if I just do another course, yeah. I just spend another 10 grand on a coach, yeah. then I'll be worthy of, you know, like you said, raising my prices or being more visible. You know, if I can say that I've worked with this person, then people think I'm amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did all of that stuff at the beginning. It's unbelievable. Exactly. And do you think it's got worse over the last couple of years and I don't necessarily I don't necessarily mean the coaching industry per se but the fact that you know all businesses majority of businesses had to go online therefore the ability to see what others were doing because you're totally right you know in the in the offline world there isn't you can't compare so easily you don't know what goes on behind closed doors but because everything largely particularly in the coaching world largely is online and people do feel the need to talk about how well they're doing whether they are or they aren't do you think because I came into the coaching world right at the start of the Mm -hmm. pandemic do you feel it has gotten to be a more negative space because because everybody is able to see what everybody else is doing interesting I think I've been in this for a a while and I actually feel and I have no data to back this up this is purely my perspective and feeling that we we hit the cusp of awfulness (laughs) maybe about six months ago a year ago maybe and I feel a shift now I think people's bs filters have been awakened I think people are realizing now that actually that I I've banged this drum for so long. I'm like, do not hire a coach because they've said they've had a six-figure launch. Ask for their profit margins. 
do not hire a coach just because they've made money. What are they doing for their clients? Like I could, and you know, my friend and I uh, about two years ago now, we're like, should we just create a fake account as an experiment? Maybe even contact the BBC, do a documentary and just, you know, have a really great photo shoot, look amazing, say that we've done all this stuff and see how many people sign up with us just because we are being like, we're shiny and we're amazing and look at us, look what we've done. I'm like, no, <laughs> please yeah. don't do that. You have to use your own due diligence. And, you know, the terminology I think is changing as well. I, you know, I recorded an episode recently on my podcast about the difference between coaching and mentoring and consulting and training. These are very, very different things. And so I do think, yes, everyone's moved online. And I think when you're authentic and you know exactly who you are and exactly which part of the the pie you're, you're wanting to work with and the people you want to work with, business can be actually very, very simple. Um, I think the noise... The noise is there, but I think people are just aware of it now. You know, I think the whole, I, I block and delete so many people now. I remove Facebook ads. I'm like, nope, I'm yeah. not here for it. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Um, I don't actually care if a coach is, I've, I've worked with coaches who have been incredible. Some of them have multiple six-figure businesses. Some of them have had multiple seven-figure businesses. One coach I worked with who probably made the biggest difference at the start of my career Um I was like her second client and I'm like, she, I will always have so much love for her because she sparked things in me. And I'm like, it doesn't. And this is why I said with the self-worth thing, it doesn't matter what's in your bank account. Yes. I'm all for, I want people to have a lot of money and I want them to have choices and freedom to be able to help others and all that kind of good stuff. But that's not how you choose a coach. (laughs) You don't choose a coach because they've got a flashy car on Instagram. Like they probably rented it. (laughs) They're probably paying for on a credit card. Like, Don't get sucked in by the BS. And I, I do believe that people are just waking up a little bit more like, I think because of the pandemic, actually, it's interesting that you came into it, into this industry at that point, because I think we had such a shift, uh, was certainly here in the UK and I'm from people I know in Australia and America and stuff as well, that we kind of question like, what do we want? What do we want? How do we want to be? What kind of world do we want to live yeah. in? And I think, like I said, the filter has been lifted a little bit and, and people are just done with the nonsense and they want yeah. real connection and real realness, yeah. far more realness. And so I, I think it, it was horrendous. And I think we're maybe coming out of it a little bit now. Yeah. And, and I do agree with you. I definitely sense you know, a shift myself as well. And, you know, and possibly part of that shift is there's more experience of those poor coaches there's people who haven't survived who have left the industry Mm. so I think there has definitely been a shaking out going on as far as your coaching is concerned and you know the relationship that you originally had with money your original money story because of you know your childhood and the the perceived amount of money in the family home what have you how has your story shifted between now then and where you are now in your business oh it's like night and day in comparison um it's it's so fascinating because I didn't the same as you I did I came into the coaching industry I'm like what what, what's a coach I thought that was a football thing like you have a football coach or a rugby coach I say coach for life like I don't get this and so once I got into it one of the first um things I sort of looked at and you you saw everywhere money blocks it's money blocks I was like oh I must have a money block that's what it is that's why I'm 
only charging 50 quid a session. This is what I'm only doing. Um, you know, and I was like, oh, that must be what it is. And that work was really valuable. I think, you know, when I when I think back to when I was even in my sort of late teens, 20s, if someone had told me about this self-development stuff, I don't think I would have been ready to hear it. Mm. I just don't think, I don't think I would have, it would have even computed. I think you have, you know, life experiences happen for a reason. You get to a certain point. And for me, that was, you know, starting a business. I was like, okay, um, this self-development thing, let's have a look at this. And so I did, you know, money manifestation workshops and I read books about money blocks. I read books about wealth and all this kind of stuff. And it was very, very useful to raise my level of awareness in terms of, oh, right, okay, so yes. And now I can look back at my childhood and go, that's why, that's why, that's why. And I've had hypnotherapy for it and all kinds of things. However, what I realize now over the last two years, especially in the way I work with with people, is that it's not, you don't have a money block as as such. Um, It's really down to reclaiming my power I've had to sort of really kind of go like actually as a woman in business yeah I can do this you know I used to be the when I worked in corporate I was the top salesperson in the area so many times but I never knew because I couldn't care less I was not interested in being at the top of a graph all I wanted to do was provide my customers with what they needed yeah and hey presto funnily enough when you do things from a good place (laughs) exactly success happens yeah um and you know so I was like oh I've never and I've never been without enough money. I think that was the biggest thing that I realized is that even, you know, when I went traveling or when I've had different jobs or whatever it was, when, you know, we had the, I bought my house um, in 2007 and then we had the crash in 2008. And I was just like, well, actually that was amazing because I did the whole Northern Rock 110% mortgage malarkey. And I was like, well, that was bloody brilliant because I was 24, managed to buy my own house. I don't know how 24 year olds are expected to buy their own house right now um it's it's a challenge so I was like well this is great yes I've lost 25 grand off the value of my property but I'm not, not going selling anywhere. it tomorrow exactly. yeah exactly I'm not selling yeah. it tomorrow yeah absolutely fine yeah so I've always um and, and now I'm sort of far more connected to you know universal powers and all that kind of thing I was like I've always been supported always I've never I've been very very lucky to never be at that point where like, I cannot afford to feed myself I can't afford to pay bills and things so I was like well if if I've always been supported what is going on what is holding me back and I actually I've done a lot of work on myself um energetics work and it is to do with worth 100 yeah it wasn't to do for me and for my own situation yeah. it wasn't to do with worth around money yeah it was worth around love and affection and being cared for and that that really was it and I was like oh my God, I remember doing a session with my coach and it was an energetic session. We were clearing it and she was like, oh, we're going to work on feeling worthy. And in my head, I was like, "Ah, I've done this work, love. Like I've worked on this. I'm not worthy. I'm not enough till the cows come home. This isn't going to bring up anything. And then when we did it, I was like, oh God, it's huge. I don't feel worthy of love. Yeah. And I was like, crap. So as a woman, all of a sudden I had a lot of work to do that I hadn't even been aware of because I've been focusing on the money. Yeah. And I now know to my soul, money's just a, a side effect of everything else. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I did a podcast episode, I think it was episode 38, and I was talking about we all have an underlying need. Mm. And that's, you know, one of the things is security. Another thing, you know, is love and recognition. Mm. And until we work out for ourselves what that underlying need is, and usually that underlying need is as a result of an agreement we've made with somebody when we were younger and that agreement and it might be that that your dad said to you stop showing off you Mm. you know you're embarrassing us so the agreement you made with your dad is I will play small I won't show off and then not and in not showing off you will love me more because I'm doing what you tell me Mm. that might have served you when you were a child but when you're older that agreement will no longer be serving you. So it's Mm. when you can work out what that underlying need is and the agreement that you have made, that is when you can can decouple yourself Mm. from that agreement. And something else that you said there that I think is really important, I have to be honest with you, I do not believe in money blocks. Mm. Money blocks is a terminology that has developed over the last few years and is actually giving people the excuse not Mm. to look internally at why are they undervaluing themselves? Mm. Because there's nothing blocking other than yourself, other than your belief in your ability to do or go after something. Yeah, and that is why I developed the Money Confidence Academy. Because actually, once you have the confidence in yourself, the money will flow, the money mm. will follow, rather than it be a case of, well, I must have a block because I'm not able to make more money. No, yeah. there isn't a money block, and I think it's that terminology that has started to really annoy me. Because A, it's giving people a legitimate excuse. Mm. And B, very often terminology is used as a barrier that then stops people from really getting to the crux of their problem. Mm. Look in that mirror. You will find the problem each and every time. So I loved what you said there was it wasn't a money block. It it was me. And this is the thing, if you, you know, even just looking at, the language you know from a trained in NLP and things when you like a block it's a block all of a sudden you can well there's a block I can't I can't get to the money because there's a block it's like well yeah if you keep telling yourself there's a block it's gonna be there exactly also I think it's really interesting because when I look back again um it's so funny when I look back I was like oh you know it must be a money block it must be a money block that's why I'm not bringing money in I wasn't selling. I wasn't going out and talking about my offers. I wasn't. I'm like, well, that's why. And I look back now. I'm like, well, no wonder I was only, you know, turning over. I think my first year I turned over ten grand or something. And I was like, well, it's because I wasn't going out and actually offering my services. Yeah. I didn't have a buy now. I had loads of free stuff out there, but I didn't have a clear link to actually purchase anything from me or sign up on my website. I was like, that'll be why. <laughs> Not a block. I just yeah. didn't have my business set up properly. Yeah. And that is so true, I would say, for the majority of my clients. When I say to them, how often are you talking about your offers? How often are you actually letting people know you have a new program? I'm not really. I'm not Mm. really doing that. Well, then, 
And actually, that comes. Carry on. Sorry. No, I was going to say, but that's that's the easy thing to fix when you because I do think I think self inquiry and you know your I like your your term of phrase of like you know hold that mirror up. There will be stuff there to to work on, to clear, to develop. However, you want to phrase it. I'm equally of the thought that you don't have to always heal everything. You don't have to go back generations and do it. Like sometimes you can realize, have that level of awareness of like, oh my God, look what I just said to myself or I heard myself say that. And you can absolutely just go, oh, screw that. I'm not, I'm not buying into that belief anymore. And that's it. It's yeah. done. It's gone. Yeah. You know, sometimes we have to dig a bit deeper. And, you know, the other thing I sort of wanted to share, because I think for, especially for the female listeners you've got is when I did hold up that mirror and kind of go, well, it's not money then. It's it's not actually money. That's not the thing. It's it's me. It's this this feeling of love. And you know, you said about the sort of arrangements that you can have with your family. Again, I came I had a very, very loving childhood. Can't knock it at all. There wasn't a lot of affection. You know, there was no big hugs or anything like that. So for me, I had always grown up incredibly independent, always had done. And growing up, you know, I was born in the 80s. So growing up in this past 40 years, it's it's been a funny one for women. Like we're supposed to be strong and independent, yet equally nurturing and caring and yeah. have the children and have the career and have this and, you know, stay a size 10 and do yeah. I'm like, We're supposed to do it all. You can it. have it all. We can have it all. It'll yeah. kill you to try, but we can have it all. But you can have it all. Exactly. Yeah. I like, want it all. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think growing up, I've always been so, so independent. And I took that into my career. I took that into my marriage. And so I basically just took on more and more and more and more and I never asked for help ever and this is where I think it's so interesting for your listeners who are like oh why can't I make enough money it took I always say to my clients the universe will give you nudges until it gets bored of you not listening and then it will just slap you around the face and it full-on slapped me around the face when my second son was born um I was already a year or two into the business um, and he was three months premature. So it was all kinds of drama. And I never asked for help. I never said that, you know, actually, I just want to sit in the hospital with my baby. I would be like, oh, no, that's that's not that's a waste of time because I've got my other son to look after. Yeah. I never asked for help once he was at home. I was running around. He was on the home oxygen. It was a very, very stressful time. But I was still like, oh, well, you know, crack on. My husband went back to work and I had the, you know, my youngest, who was two, and this baby who's on oxygen, who's not feeding properly. And I was like, it's fine. I can do it. And I was still running around to the shops and doing all the things. And I look back at that version of me and I think, my God, you just needed someone to hold you and yeah. just say, you know what? You, got, around you. you yeah. do not have to have everything. You don't have to be the superwoman. Like, it's okay to ask for help. And that was the catalyst for me going to do a lot more self-development around me who was I you know I'd gone through I think especially for women I'm sure you know men to a point as well but we go through so many transitions as a woman that aren't celebrated aren't marked we're just expected to just carry on on. (laughs) I've gone from this professional woman working you know 50 hours a week to having two children uh I've got a business husband house and I'm supposed to be doing all these things and then I'm like and there I am kind of reading books on money books. I'm like, I'm not making enough money. I'm like, no, let me wonder, woman, you're exhausted. <laughs> Absolutely. And that is such an important message you gave her, Heather. It really is, because there is so much pressure 
on women to say, look, if you want to have it all, you can have it all. But I haven't got it all. Oh, my God, there must be something wrong with me that I haven't got the perfect figure and the perfect amount of income. And my children aren't sleeping and they're not feeding and I'm not socialising and I haven't got a clean house, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And, you were, and as you were saying that, it's really funny. I had a flashback of a memory when my husband with my first child, my husband was still... It was awesome. Yeah, with my first time, my husband was still um, working in, in a company. By the time we had our second child, he'd already started his own business. But with my first child, he was very colicky, etc. you know, as, as a small baby. Um, and I can remember once my husband had had his paternity leave, and I'd forgotten this memory until you, you talked about it. I can remember he had taken the first two weeks of my child's, uh, of my baby's, you know, time off. And I would always say, no, dads, don't take that first two weeks off because there's probably people who are going to be coming around. Take it afterwards mm. so the mum can actually have a proper kind of break and utilise you being there. Mm. But I remember him going off to work and feeling utter despair that I had to cope with this little baby you know, on my own having not been on my own with him because my parents had come to stay the first Mm. couple of weeks. My husband was off work for the first couple of weeks. And then when my husband left and I was on maternity leave, so I didn't have the guilt of running a business and being concerned about, you know, could I post on social media and speak to clients, et cetera, et cetera. But I do remember feeling scared. And why would we not feel scared when it was the first time in my life, I'd been left on my own with a child, with a baby who was dependent on me. I hadn't slept at all probably the night before because same baby, you know, wanted to feed throughout the night, et cetera, et cetera. And I didn't ask for help because I thought I was supposed to be able to do it all. My mm-hmm. husband comes home, perfect meal, house has been cleaned, me looking glamorous and beautiful. None of those things happened. (laughs) But what did happen was a huge amount of guilt being layered on top because I wasn't the Wonder Woman that I thought that I should be. Mm. So your message there is perfect to actually say, ask for help. Mm. We We can't do it all. We may want it all, but we can't do it all because something has to give somewhere along the line and if you ask for help there's no shame in that at all Mm. because then you are probably creating the much better version of you because you're getting that support than feeling critical of yourself Mm -hmm. because you're not managing it all so I think that is a a really really lovely and important message to Mm. provide really do yeah and it's it is important because also the that asking for help thing, you know, it's, it's asking for what you want. And that that goes in line. I think for me, it's definitely been evident in sales as well. I'm just like, no, these are my prices. This is the hours I want to work. These are the days I want to work. These are the people I want to work with. And it's like, yeah, I'm allowed to have what I actually desire to have in my life. Yeah. I don't have to fit into this box of what I'm conditioned and told I need to be. And I was like, no. I can do things however I want to do. And I'm I'm okay with 
asking for the sale now. I used to be, I don't know whether you, you probably have this with your clients as well. I would say, right, so my price is going to be, let's just say a thousand pounds. And I'd get on a call with someone and they'd ask me, you know, eventually get to that point. I'm like, oh, my heart's racing. I have to say the price soon. And I'm like, it's a thousand pounds. But seeing as I know you and you've been in my community for a while, blah, 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 blah. blah. And then before I know it, I'm like, oh, I've just knocked 300 quid off that somehow. I gave them a discount before yeah. they didn't even ask. Yeah. Oh my gosh, you know, it's so prevalent, especially with women. And, I, you know, I, I don't do that at all now. My prices are my price. And if you yeah. can't afford it, that's absolutely cool. I've got other free resources you can use until the point. But I'm just like, no, that's, that's what my services are, are worth. And their prices will probably increase um, as and when I desire to do that. And yeah. we have to be centered in our own power to know that actually what we're doing is worth what we're charging. And I'm not saying for a second, I'm, I'm a, I do not believe for a second that anyone has the right to tell people what they should be charging. There should be no shoulds yeah. <laughs> in this conversation. Yeah. But what we should be in a place of comfort with our, our prices and what we're charging and how we're running our business and how we're living our lives because no one else gets to dictate that for any of us at all. Yeah, no, I totally, totally agree with you. And I... I with my clients, when it comes to pricing, you know, I will always say to them, you give your price and you stop. You be quiet. <laughs> you dig your nails into your hands if you have to. Sit on your hands. But don't feel you've then got to follow through with that automatic discount. Because you were mm. so right. There is almost a, here's the price and let me take it away and let me present you with another one. A yes. less expensive one. The one that one. I'm actually comfortable. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And I always remember my first coach saying to me, when you talk about your pricing, it should be as easy as saying, pass the salt. No emotion, no expectation, just pass the salt. And you Mm -hmm. stop and you wait to be passed the salt. You don't pass salt. Oh, and by the way, could I have tomato ketchup and some mayonnaise? Can you pass the salt? And you know what? You can keep half of the salt if you want. (laughs) Exactly. 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 So that was a really, really good reminder you gave there as well. So how can people connect with you, Heather? Um, The best place is my website. All my links are on there. So that's Heather Angel and Angel is spelled with two L's, heatherangel.co.uk. My podcast, the Focus on Fears podcast is on all streaming platforms. And I'm primarily on LinkedIn and Instagram at Heather Angel Coaching. Perfect. And all those details will be in the show notes so people will be really easily able to reach out to you. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast. I really, really loved our conversation. And it's been a pleasure having you here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Talk Money and More podcast. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to better understand your relationship with money, then please head to the resources section on my website, the Money Confidence Academy, and download my monthly money mindset audit. This will allow you to create a benchmark for where your relationship with money is right now and allow you to continue to measure it on a monthly basis as you do the inner work to improve it. You will also find a copy of my Money Archetypes Assessment at the same time, which will allow you to start to really understand which are your three primary money archetypes driving your relationship with money and how to use this information to make, spend, keep and invest more money. 
or if you are a female online business owner, why not join my free Money Confidence community over on Facebook? A link to the group and other ways to connect with me can be found in the show notes. Finally, if you have enjoyed listening to the podcast, please do tell others about it. And I would love it if you rated it and gave a review.